Would you like the power to avoid workplace accidents? Today, we're talking about five ways that you can do just that. Don't hang up that phone. We've found what you're looking for. Welcome to the Let's Talk Cabling Podcast with Chuck Bowser, RCDD. Well, seeing how we're pulling Category 6A, the most powerful twisted pair in the world. You gotta ask yourself this one question Did I pull 295 or 300 feet? Well, do you feel lucky? Do you punk? In this podcast, you'll learn the differences between a 66 and 110 punch tool, the proper way to install a support cable, along with testing and certifying the cable. What exactly does RCDD stand for? Registered Communications Distribution Designer. Just the expert you need to ensure your cable plant performs exactly as designed. The elite professional, knowledgeable, and experienced in leading edge ICT design principles. So join us as we talk about the ever-changing world of telecommunications. From ISP to OSP, from copper to fiber, design to installation. Now, send the new guy to the truck for a bucket of dial tone and the cable stretchers while you listen to an informative program on telecommunications. Welcome to the show where we tackle the tough questions that are submitted by installers, project managers, estimators, IT personnel, and even customers. On this show, we connect at the human level so that we can connect the world. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube, would you mind hitting the subscribe button and the bell button to be notified when new content is being created? If you're listening to this show on Stitcher, iTunes, or some other podcast platform, would you mind consider leaving us a five-star rating? That helps us take on that nasty algorithm so we can get this information out to more people and educate, encourage, and enrich even more lives. Also, don't forget our After Hours series, broadcast live Thursday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you can submit your questions to be answered live by your favorite RCDD. That would be me. On, this is broadcast on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. If you missed the broadcast, it's okay, because they're recorded for later consumption. Make sure you send your questions to questions at letstalkcabling.com. Also, make sure to check out our webpage. That's where you can find all of our recorded podcasts, vlogs, and articles. And you can also sign up for our newsletter and also ways to support the platform like Patreon, Amazon links, or donations through PayPal. Safety is that thing that your supervisor keeps harassing you about. Probably because their supervisor is harassing them about it. Safety is the foundation that all other aspects of the job are built upon. If the project environment, processes, or actions of the team members are in any way unsafe, it will affect morale, cost of the project, poor perception of the company, by the staff, the customer, peers, and even other trades on the job. Most importantly, it could also cost you through an injury, or even worse, your life. I get it. Sometimes doing things safely place an additional burden on your daily activities. And sometimes it feels as though the steps that we are asked to perform to do tasks safely seems just to outweigh getting the job done. Trust me, it only takes one mishap to turn your world upside down. I have personal experience in this issue, which is why I'm so passionate about safety. 
There are two events in my life that changed my perception about safety. You see, I used to be that guy who thought safety was just getting in the way of me doing my job. The first was my uncle was killed in a workplace accident. I was very close with my uncle. In fact, some of my family members used to joke to say that we were two peas in a pod and I was more like him than I was my own father. He worked for a ladder and scaffolding company in the Washington, D.C. area. He worked in the warehouse, and one of his jobs was to receive the equipment from the field. When it would come in, he would verify that the material signed out came back the exact same way that it went out the door. He'd make sure that it wasn't damaged on the job site. He was standing on a stack of scaffolding when the pile fell over and took his life. The second event was when I became a volunteer firefighter and EMT. I attended many patients who started their day off thinking it was just going to be another normal day, but it wasn't. You see, when you run so many of those types of calls in a day that were preventable, you develop a hard outer coating as an EMT and become less feeling and more matter of fact about it. My EMS captain once told me, always remember that while this might be your fourth call for a broken bone today, always remember it's that patient's first broke bone of the day. As a volunteer EMT with construction experience, I realized pretty quickly that the majority of those calls were preventable and they could have been avoided by taking just a few steps or having the right attitude about safety. A while ago, someone posted a picture of of a safety plaque on one of my LinkedIn posts. And it's not only the truth, but it's the mantra by which you should live by. The plaque simply stated that no job is so important No service call is so urgent that we cannot take the time to perform our job safely. Had my uncle worn fall arresting gear, if procedures had been in place, if he inspected incoming material safely, I could have enjoyed his company for many more years. I often reflect back on what could have been done to to make this accident preventable and his life not been taken. The National Institute of Occupational Safety Health Teams defines five levels of hazards controls. These are elimination, substitution controls, engineering, administrative controls, and personal protective equipment. Each of these levels represents, is represented in an inverted triangle. At the very top, it's the widest. At the bottom, it's the narrowest. The closer you get to the bottom, the less effective it is for, re- for reducing the chance of, of an accident. So starting at the top of that inverted triangle, the widest part is elimination. Remove the hazard from the job. If it's not present, it simply cannot cause a safety issue. This step will provide you the most effective means for avoiding an accident. Some examples that could be good candidates for this stage would include dangerous equipment, dangerous environments, hazardous chemicals, and unnecessary processes, just to name a few. Let's look at an example where eliminations is a plague. A long time ago, I was working on a cable project on a new cable construction site. They were renovating an old industrial space, turning it into a new call center. A lot of the industrial equipment that the GC was removing was bolted to the floor. Now, they hired a contractor to remove that equipment, and that contractor was responsible for removing equipment and was supposed to grind or cut the bolts flush with the concrete floor upon removal. In nearly every safety meeting conducted by the GC, we were instructed that if we discovered any of those that had not been cut or ground down, that we were to stay with that hazard and alert the GC via the walkie-talkies. And they would send somebody immediately to remove that hazard. If the hazard is removed, then the chance of injury from tripping over a bolt 
is eliminated. Here's another example, one that's more likely to present itself for you as a cable crew. If you have a ladder that is cracked, bent, or missing the feet, remove it from the job site immediately and replace it with one that is not damaged. Don't keep using that damaged ladder just because for the last few weeks nobody has been injured. It is a ticking time bomb. I also suggest cutting the ladder in half. If elimination is just not an option to move on to the next hierarchy of hazard control, which is substitution. With this level, you replace the hazard. This level is not going to be as safe as elimination, but it will provide some good adequate protection. Let me give you an example. Outside plant cable. Outside plant cable has a gel-like substance within the cable. This petroleum-based substance is called IckyPick. It has two functions. It's supposed to reveal vermin from chewing on the cable because of the smell and also the taste is not pleasant. And if they nick anything, then it seals the copper so that uh, it doesn't cause corrosion on the cable. Icky pick is flammable. Flammable. When you're working with this type of cable, you're going to get icky pick all over you as well as the tools and the floor and your clothes. This is going to require some additional steps to ensure that that petroleum-based icky pick is not exposed to a spark, direct flame, or excessive heat that could cause the gel to ignite. If you choose a different type of cable or has a different type of waterproofing that is not combustible, you are eliminating and also substituting that material. Those types of waterproofing are available. Another example of a flammable substance that we use on a, pro on a project quite often, isopropyl alcohol. We use it to clean our fiber. Now, this is usually cleaned for right before termination. In case you didn't realize this, it is flammable. Now let's go to the third level, engineering controls. By the way, before we move on to engineering controls, elimination and substitution, while they are the most effective at reducing the hazard, they also tend to be the most difficult to implement in an existing process. This may also cause more, the most difficulty to get buy-in from all of the stakeholders on this particular project or any project that you may be working on. The third and smaller step is engineering controls. In this step, you take steps to isolate people from that hazard. Using isopropyl alcohol, as previously mentioned as my example, another one method you can use is engineering controls. By using engineering controls, you control the environment around the, the hazard. So what you could do is you could actually put caution tape, safety cones, to secure the work area around that particular work area. This keeps other people from blocking other people from getting too close to the work that you're doing so they can perform the work safer so they don't get injured from it. It's also going to reduce the potential of an accident. Now, even though we are isolating people from the hazard, via the caution tape or the cones or the ladders, there is still a reduced chance of an accident that could still happen and may take place. So it's not as safe as the two previous levels that we just talked about. The initial cost of engineering controls can be higher than the cost of administrative controls or PPE, but over the long term, operating costs are frequently going to be lower. And in some instances, it can even provide cost savings in other areas of the processes or project. Moving on to the fourth level, administrative controls. We change the way that people think and work. 
Well, this is the fourth level. It is, my my opinion, probably the most difficult to implement. Sometimes we focus so much on production to meet budgets, to meet schedules, that basically we sacrifice safety. And we are all guilty of this from the CEO or the owner of the company all the way down to the newest employee or the, the apprentice. In this level, you can come up with rules and regulations that you can put in place to help minimize accidents. That accidents that could be accidents that could not be eliminated as we've shown in the previous steps. Here are just some ideas off the top of my head that would fall under this particular category. By the way, if you're listening to this on podcast, on listening to this on, yeah, on podcast, I'm gonna put a graphic of the inverted triangle. So here's those steps. Training employees who are around existing hazards. One contractor that I worked for mandated that you do weekly safety tailgate meetings. The company officer would send out a two-page document every Friday with the paychecks. And the first page described an event. The second page was a series of questions that the facilitator could use to spur on conversations. It was a pretty straightforward process. It was pretty easy. I took it one step further as a project manager on my cruise. Each week, I would randomly pick a different crew member to conduct the meeting. I had a great mentor of mine early in my career. And I'll never forget them because they always used to say, in learning, you will teach. In teaching, you will learn. So next one, improving procedural work. Always be on the lookout to improve work. Just because that's the way that your dad did it or the person who taught you did it doesn't mean it's still the best way. Another one, keeping up maintenance. Perform inspections, document the findings, and and be prepared to take the steps that you're going to need to do to remove any safety issue. I had a safety officer once that if he found that you'd cut off the ground plug on your extension cord on a job site, he would take your extension cord off the site and he would cut the ends off that cord so that way nobody could keep using it. Another one, performing regular housekeeping roles such as keeping everything clean. A simple example here is your telecom room. Keep it clean as you're roughing in the cable. Keep those bundles stored neatly and protected inside that telecom room. You can you can secure it with caution tape, cones, anything like that. And by doing so, you're going to avoid a trip hazard. Finally, implementing visual safety tools to remind employees of a hazard. Great example here, lockout tagout device. When used properly, you can prevent an eye injury using lockout tagout procedure when you're working with fiber. Now, the fifth and least effective method of safety is wearing PPE, personal protective equipment. Ironically, most people would think that this provides the best protection, but it doesn't. You see, I've seen many a person on a construction site who wasn't wearing their required eye protection. I've seen many people on a construction site wearing incorrect PPE clothing, not wearing steel-toed shoes, or just not following the guidelines. I've seen many people on a job site wearing the hard hats backwards. It only works if you wear it correctly and consistently, not just when you think an accident will happen. If you possess those kinds of skills of prediction where you can accurately predict when an accident's going to happen, I need to talk to you about buying some lottery tickets. Also, think about PPE. You've got to choose the right PPE for the job. Let's just pick one. Hard hats. Hard hats can come in a couple of different different kinds. Which hard hat is the right one for the job? I'll give you an example. 
everybody can think of the normal hard hat that everybody wears that works for 90% of the jobs. But do you realize there's a hard hat that's got an extra wide brim that goes all the way around the circle? So that way, if, if some hot liquid gets poured down on you or something gets poured, up, poured on you, it helps splay it Also, It doesn't go underneath your shirt. There's another type of hard hat called a bump cap, right? The, the use for a bump cap is when you're working inside an existing office. If you wear a traditional hard hat in an office space, that's existing where people are working, they're going to be looking at you wondering why you have on all this safety equipment and should they wear safety equipment? So it prevents, a, it creates a environment where they might not feel as safe. That's where the bump cap comes in. The bump cap works just like a hard hat, but it looks like a baseball cap. And what it does, it prevents your head from injuries when you stick your head above the ceiling grid. How many times have you lifted out a ceiling tile and gone into the ceiling and bumped your head on a piece of all thread hanging down or something hanging in the ceiling? The bump cap keeps those kinds of injuries from happening, but yet it looks like a ball cap. So the people in the office are really going to think you're just wearing a ball cap. Which one's the right one for the job? It depends on every job. I'll give you one more example. Protective eyewear. So protective eyewear comes in a lot of different cases. I make jokes all the time about my glasses. My glasses are, in fact, safety-rated safety glasses, but they're also 1.5 magnifiers, so that way I can read what I'm working on. But there's also safety glasses that have the, 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 the things on the side to keep debris from coming in on the side. You might want to have to have on a face shield for additional protection. Again, which one you pick really depends on the environment and what hazards you're being exposed to. So PPE just by itself is not just the key. You need to be trained on how to identify which is the correct PPE, how to wear it, and like I mentioned earlier, be consistent with wearing that PPE. It is my sincerest desire that in hearing this information that it inspired you to work more safely. Your family, your peers, your customers, and your employer will all certainly appreciate it. Until next time, be safe. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.